This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Today's scripture comes from Psalm 13, so if you would like to follow along. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. I just have to make sure I don't back into any of this stuff over here. So that's kind of what I'm looking out for. Um, you might have noticed a little bit uh, in the in the psalm that we read. Uh, it's not uh, the most cheerful song uh, in the psalms. It's, a, it's actually like a really really difficult one, and I think uh, I appreciate uh, Lauren and Arwen, even as they thought through some of the songs uh, that we sang this morning, we had a little, little bit of a, a somber tone. Um, we said melancholy, I think is the word that we landed on this morning as we sang uh, some of the songs, uh, but it is a, this is a difficult sort of emotional psalm uh, when I think about places in scripture that sort of have that kind of weight. Um, it's tough. I mean, it's not, uh, it's, not the, it's not the passages I necessarily look like get excited uh, to preach about because uh, there's just so much weight there uh, and there's so much raw emotion uh, in this psalm. And so, yeah, I think uh, I'm thinking about Jesse's sermon next week, which is about finding joy. <laughs> and I'm like, we should have switched. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, uh, Let's pray, and then uh, we'll kind of dive into this psalm. It's a, this, this kind of weighty point in Scripture. Heavenly Father, thank you that, um, thank you that your psalms communicate to us a, a wide range of emotions. Thank you that we can, we can come up here and talk about songs and, and praises and, and joy, and we can rejoice and we can be thankful Thank you at the same time, Lord, that we can, we can be honest about being in dark places. We can not avoid the painful aspects of this life. Um, and you express those to us in, in, in perfect ways in your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that as we wrestle with this, uh, this weighty psalm, that at the end of the day, we would, we would see the gospels more beautiful we would see the light of your son as something that we are more drawn to um, because we're being honest about just difficult things in life uh, that are dark. So I thank you for this time and just for this family and I pray that uh, your spirit would work to, to encourage us uh, even as we wrestle with hard things this morning. In your name I pray, amen. 
So yeah, I feel like there's a couple, for me personally, there's a couple of like really low, emotionally, like low points in scripture. And another one of those sort of low points is, is Jesus praying before the cross. Like just like, like he's, he's sweating blood. He's crying out to his heavenly father. He's, in, he's anticipating taking on the full wrath of God or his, or his Corinthians of becoming sin for us. And, and it's just one of those like raw moments where he goes to the Lord and he's like, if there's, if there's another way to do this, if there's another route, that's what I want. That's, that's what I want. And he goes back and he goes back and he goes back and his disciples are just tired and he's, he's just drained and he's exhausted and he's crying out and he's asking the Lord, if there's another way, Father, that we can just do, we can accomplish this another way. That's what we should do. He says, but your will be done. At the end of the day, he follows and trusts his heavenly Father. And I feel like that's just one of those like weighty emotional moments in the New Testament that sheds some light even on this psalm. The psalm that, that starts with for how long? Like how long? How much more? How much more of this do I have to go through? And, and I think about that and I, and I think, well, what is, how could the psalmist be in such a dark place? I can't relate necessarily to, to Jesus's anticipation of the wrath of the Father. Like he, he enjoyed perfect fellowship with his, with his heavenly Father. He is, he is one person of, of the, 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 the singular God, Yahweh. And he was about to, for the first time in his in eternal existence, experience the wrath of God. That's a difficult thing for me, me to relate to. Um, and in some sense, an impossible thing. And I, and I thought about one of the more dark, um, dark times in my life, uh, and maybe something maybe a little bit more relatable, just to sort of get in the mindset of what's going on in the psalm. And that's kind of where we're going. I don't have an outline on the screen because it's just two points. So it's um, a, a dark place and, and a bright hope. A dark place and a bright hope. And I, and I know that we experience dark places at different points in our life. And there was, I think the darkest place for me and Bridget were the first 10 days that we were in the hospital when we ended up losing um, our second child. And we get there, and Bridget is in excruciating pain. Uh, ended up with help syndrome, uh, it's very, painful, uh, it's, it's, it's deadly um, for both the, more so at the time for the mother, uh, and we showed up, and we don't have no idea what's going on, and I'm just thinking, how can Bridget not be in pain, who, we were at a checkup days earlier, everything was fine, 21 weeks along in pregnancy, and they said, here's what's going on, it's a syndrome, um, if we don't do anything, it could kill Bridget, and your baby isn't large enough to do a C-section or to give birth. So you had to wait 10 days. They said 10 days. And hopefully she grows. It was a long 10 days. Lots of blood pressure medicine. Uh, they put Bridget on a 
a magnesium drip, which basically kept her from seizing, and then uh, jacked her full of an IV steroid to try to get the baby to grow um, over 300 grams or something like that. So we, we spent 10 days wrestling uh, with pain and with blood pressure. Um, and, and 10 days later, they said, okay, we're going to come in and we're going to do the ultrasound. And, and there's, there's this, our, at this point, our entire church is praying for us. Probably an entire church in San Antonio is praying for us. People are encouraging us. Uh, and you just put so much hope in, in, that, in that timeline. And it was 10 days later, they do the ultrasound. And they said she hadn't grown a bit. No change. So we were just to wait for her to die. And I think that's what the psalmist is saying. It's a dark place. There's no hope. There's no hope. I was prepared for this. So he says, how long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? You don't cry that out to the Lord. God, will you forget me forever? God, it's your fault. Will you hide your face from me? We don't, we don't cry out. We don't land in these dark places unless we're without hope. No hope. And that's difficult. And I think this is one of those situations where Your hopeless scenario may not be 10 days. Your hopeless scenario might be a really difficult 10 minutes. Your hopeless scenario might be a really difficult 10 years. But I think all of us have come to this point. In some sense, we will, if we haven't, we will all come to this point, or we know people who are at this point, where we've tried everything. And we're in a dark place because we don't have any hope. And we can sympathize with the psalmist and say, will you forget me forever, Lord? How long? How long? Will you hide your face from me? And in these hopeless and these dark times, they're painful. They're difficult. Again, this could be something small. This could be something more dramatic. This could be something very similar. But they're difficult. And he says, how long must I take counsel in my soul? And the deepest part of who I am. And have sorrow in my heart all the day long. I don't think the psalmist could have used more accurate words to display the pain and the suffering and the hopelessness in the deepest part of who he was. 
his soul, his heart, his innermost being. Why is this a situation we have to handle in the first place? And we get a little hint of that in the second part of verse 2. He says, how long shall my enemies be exalted over me? My enemies. And I appreciate what Abraham said in DNA this week. He said, the Psalms keep bringing up enemies, and I don't think I have any enemies. (laughs) Like maybe Al-Qaeda? I think that's what you said. (laughs) Uh, But it's a good question. Most of us, when we're we're in a place of hopelessness or we're dealing with something that's, that's very difficult, it's weighty. It's a, when we're in a dark place, you, most of us aren't thinking of an enemy. That's not, that's not what's, what's on the, the tip of our mind. And I think we, we, we don't think that way. We don't think about of our enemies because we're, we're considering things sort of in a, in a this world plane. We're looking at our enemies as, as someone who is flesh and blood. In, in scripture, as scripture speaks to us, it, it tells us that our enemies aren't, aren't ultimately other people. We have enemies that are, are more despicable, that are more wicked, that are more destructive than that. And our enemies are ultimately sin, Satan, and death. And this gets kind of picked up on in Ephesians 6. It's harder to find it in my Bible with the handheld. Ephesians 6 should be up on the screen. Paul's talking about our enemies. Verse 10 says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's it's, it's Paul's way of saying it's not this physical creation that's ultimately our enemies. It's not income inequality that's ultimately our enemies. It's not systemic racism is ultimately our enemies. It's not a 
consumerist culture that's ultimately our enemies, and there's, there's, dip, there's, there's real problematic things with those. But he goes on to explain, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So when he says, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Our enemy is is the the spiritual forces, the the darkness that we do not see. And ultimately that's sin, Satan, and death. Death being the last enemy to be defeated. Our enemy is the the twisting of the good things that's in in our own wicked hearts. Our enemy is the the demonic forces that want there to be division, that want there to be uh, fighting, that wants there to be conflict. Whether that's on a, on a grand scale, like Al-Qaeda, or at home, between you and someone you love. That's what they love. That's who your enemy is. He goes on in the psalm, It's interesting, he knows that ultimately, if that's his enemy, if his number one enemy isn't, you know, here's David, the king, crying out to God, saying, how long, O Lord? If he knows his enemy isn't, is something beyond what he's able to comprehend, is something greater than he could could, uh, deal with on his own, if he knows that his enemy is, is at, the, at the end of the day is, is the sin, Satan, and death, he knows that the, if I'm going to seek resolution, if I'm going to see s- some sliver of hope in, a, in, a, in such a really dark place where I cry out to God, even in the psalm, he knows the answer is from God himself. So that's what he does. He goes in verse 3, and he says, consider and answer me. O Lord, my God, answer me. My enemies are beyond what I'm able to do. This this is a a hopeless situation. This is a dark place because because the, the resolution is outside of my hands. I I can't if I could fix this, I would. I wouldn't be crying out to you if there was things I could do to make this not a hopeless situation. Answer me, O Lord. He uses a divine name. He says Yahweh, the I am, the self-existing one, the one that doesn't need me at all. Answer me, O Lord, my God. And he has the right solution even in his prayer. He says, light up my eyes. Light up my eyes. Lord, I need you to see, I need you to open my eyes so that I can see hope. I need you to, to open my eyes so that I can see you working in what you're doing. Your God, your creator. I can't, I can't see your face. I don't sense your presence. I have no idea what's going on. I'm in, the, I'm in a dark and hopeless place. 
And he cries out to God and says, Lord, I need you. I need you to open my eyes. Because if you don't, I'll sleep the sleep of death. That's a hopeless situation. It's a hopeless situation. I think this is a appropriate. I think it's good to just pause and say, this is an appropriate way to pray to God. And I think some people, when they are in these hopeless situations, when they're dealing with things that are really difficult, it could be something really short, it could be something really long. It's not uncommon in evangelical circles to drop the count it all joy bomb. That's terrible. It's a great verse. And there's a context where we consider even the hopeless suffering of this world as something God is using for our good. But he's crying out to God over and over and over again. And he's saying, Lord, you need to light up my eyes. You need me to make me aware of who you are and what you're doing. Because this is a desperate, hopeless, dark situation. He's not minimizing the pain of what's going on. He's saying, this is, there's nothing I can do. I like in verse four, he reasons with the Lord. I think it's another appropriate way to pray. He reasons with God. He says, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. This is God's anointed king. This is someone who is meant to represent the creator of the universe in his rule and reign in a person. Amen. And David is in a situation that's completely outside of his control. And he says, Lord, I need you to open my eyes to show me. I need you to open my eyes so I can see. Because if you don't, look who's going to win. He reasons with God and says, I'm in a hopeless, I'm in a dark situation. And God, if you don't open my eyes so that I can see what you're doing, so that I can see you and your presence and your joy and, I, and just grapple with, with trusting you, my God, and I'm struggling with this, they're going to think that, that they won. And I think that's a wonderful way to pray to God. Those, those, those spiritual forces that want us to despair that, that want us to bite and devour one another. That want us to think that the God that's brought the hopeless situation in our life doesn't love us anymore. Doesn't know what he's doing. Doesn't care for us. That's what they want. That's what they want. 
And he cries out to God and says, Lord, help me. Or they're going to get what they want. I'm going to be tempted to doubt you. I'm going to respond poorly to my neighbor. I'm not going to find my joy in you. I'm going to find it in, in the escape. And the second part, he says, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. It's another pleading with God. It's like, you have set me. This is David. David is the anointed king. The only king in the entire planet that's been put there by the creator himself. If anyone should have confidence in what's going on, it's David. Think about that. What's, that's, maybe that's something that we, we struggle to relate to. Like, well, Aaron, God didn't tell me that I was in charge of everything, and so it's easier for me to be shaken. <laughs> in a sense, that's fair. But what has he told you? He's told you that you've, you are now seated in the heavenly places with Christ. Yes, Lord. He's told you that you are united to the beloved son, the better David. He's told you that the king of kings and lord of lords is the one who's orchestrating everything in your life for your good and his glory. Amen. We have less reason to be shaken than David. And I think about this hopeless situation, this, this dark place where he cries out and says, how long, oh Lord? I think about how beautiful it is outside. I think about the fact that we're in an art gallery. I think about the fact that it took Lauren and Arwen a few minutes to get everyone reeled in because we're just having a great time chit-chatting with one another. And it's hard not to be like, man, maybe I should have just picked a different psalm. <laughs> Why do we have to wrestle with this today? <laughs> it's hard. So why do we have to wrestle with this today? And I think for people who are in a hopeless place, I think for people who are in a dark place, it's like asking a parent, why do we have to talk about your kids? Because they're my kids. <laughs> You're in this place. This is, this is a real part of your life. This is something that's on your mind. So God's given us this, this raw, this emotional, this is just difficult, hopeless situation here so we can wrestle with that together. This is a reality of life for some people. And I think for some of us, if we're not in that situation, this is a good opportunity to file this away. God speaks to hopelessness. He has something to say to you when you're in a dark place. It's there. You can go to it. I know we haven't gotten to the good news part yet, but, it, but it's a real thing. We talk about how we value inward and outward love at, at Emmaus. And, and part of that is encouraging and exhorting one another. 
Maybe, maybe understanding how the psalmist cries out to God and says, how long, Lord? The psalmist is saying, you forgot about me. Maybe you know someone that feels that way. And you can just sympathize with them. You can consider them inside or outside the community. This is how we show love to one another. This is why we consider these difficult, serious things. Another reason, I think, to spend some time on such a beautiful day with people who enjoy talking about such a dark place is that it leads us to really value a bright hope. Life can be dark. And if we ignore the reality that life can be really dark, then we miss out on seeing the beauty and the majesty of our bright hope. The, the, the good news, the thing that we call beautiful here at Emmaus, the, the beauty of the gospel. This is an analogy that I feel like every pastor has ever used in the history of pastors. But there's a reason why you look at a diamond on a black mat when you go to this look for diamonds, whenever you do that. <laughs> for those of you who are married, you've done this before. <laughs> but they put it on that black mat because it makes it shine. It makes it beautiful. It makes it pop. You can see it. And I feel like when we wrestle with difficult and dark places in the same way the gospel just shows bright, it's beautiful, it, 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 it shines forth in a way that gives us hope, gives us joy, gives us peace, even in the darkest moments where we have exhausted everything, including prayer, and cried out to God and said, how long, Lord? And that's what he reminds us of in verse five. He says, but, I'm gonna stop right there. That reminds me of Jesus' prayer. Three times he goes to the Father. I mean, he knows. Jesus isn't going to the cross like, oh, I know this will be good at the end, you know? Like, he's not flippant with that. But three times. I don't, I don't think we have anywhere in the New Testament where Jesus repeats his prayer that we know of. And here he is in triplicate, crying out to God saying, hey, if there's another way, this is the worst. There's some, I've read scripture. I understand that the nation's stripes are healed by my wounds. I understand that, that I'm gonna step into the wrath of God. I understand that you've decreed this before the ages began, but God, if there's another way for this to happen, let's do that. Jesus knows what it's like to be in a dark place and to have no hope. We read in Hebrews, he despised the shame. At the same time, just like in the psalm, he said, but. But your will be done. That was a hard thing to say, I bet. It wasn't easy. And I think that's what David is helping us out with right here. He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. 
have trusted, past tense. I have trusted in your steadfast love. And that's a word that we struggle to translate into English. Uh, it's not, it's the word, it's the Greek word hes, is hesed. Andrew can probably tell me I didn't pronounce that right. <laughs> oh, thank you. Correcting my language first. Let's run the Septuagint. I'm just off. Yeah, I remember now. It's a, it's a Hebrew word that's hard for us to interpret because it has like two really weighty ideas behind it. And so we translate it in our ESV as a steadfast love, like love that's not changing, that's steadfast. Um, coincidentally, uh, Andrew's old pastor, Ian Duigood, is that how you say his name? There's so much pronunciation here. Uh, anyways, he is an Old Testament professor and he defines hesed as loyal love. Loyal love. And we don't really have a word that describes both those things. We can be really loyal to work. We don't love it. We can love for a pretty well for a while, but maybe not for a long time. So this word hesed, the steadfast love in, in English, is, uh, it means loyal love. So he's reminding us of, of God's loyal love. And I thought it would help to look at a couple of passages to make some sense of that. Because if he's in such a dark place and this is our bright hope, this hesed, this, this idea of God's loyal love, then we should understand a little bit of what that means if it's such a, if it's such a bright hope. And Isaiah 40 gives us sort of a... Uh, a, a hesed that's not so great. Isaiah 40 says, a voice says, verse six, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. All its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. It's just, it's just this, uh, most of you have probably heard this before. It's contrasting what God has said to everything else, all flesh, the, everything in this world, this creation. One fades, one forever. And it's interesting in verse six, he says, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. All its beauty, like the, our English translators are trying to communicate all the good things about this world sort of are, are, are like the grass that fades. Uh, and it's the only place in the entire Old Testament, but 250 times this word comes up, where hesed is translated beauty. And it's saying the loyal love, the steadfast love of everything in this world lets you down. It fades. The The... the the commitment and the love of everything in this world in one shape or form fades. God's word, forever. So it's contrasting this hesed that's not from God with what God has said, just to show us that anywhere else you get this steadfast love is going to fade. And then in Psalms, Psalm 132 
And you might want to turn there because it's I'm not going to hit all of the the whole chapter. Sorry, 136. We have 26 verses. And at the end of every verse, I would much rather have preached on this psalm. It says, for his steadfast love endures forever. His hesed is forever. His hesed is forever. His steadfast love is forever. And it's a beautiful psalm. It says, starts in the first couple verses. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. It's reminding us over and over and over again that unlike anyone else's steadfast love or hesed or loyal love, God's steadfast love is forever. And it's a cool psalm because it starts with creation. It it reminds us of what he's done in redemption. It looks back to when he saved all his people and says, look, they've rescued him out of Egypt. They've, They've conquered the enemy, the Pharaoh, the one who's pointing us to this greater, darker, deeper enemy, Satan himself. Look back. Trust in his hesed. He's reliable. And it walks through the sort of story of redemption up to the point in the psalm and even points to sort of the new creation of this idea that he, you end up in the promised land. His steadfast love endures forever. He beated every enemy in this new creation. His steadfast love lives forever. And then it ends with what I think is a super encouraging kind of connector to our other psalm. Verse 23 and 24 says, towards the end of the psalm, says, it is he who remembered us in our lowest state. His steadfast love endures forever and rescued us from our foes for his steadfast love endures forever. This is what the psalmist is saying in 13. Verse five, it says, but I have trusted in your hesed because your steadfast love endures forever. There's no hope. Whatever circumstance he's going through, there's no hope. You're gonna be in situations you can't change. You might be in a situation that you can't change. You might know people that are hopeless and in this dark place but that doesn't change this bright hope that his steadfast love endures forever. That's what you can trust in. He's united himself to his people in a way that no matter what you see going on around you, he loves you, is loyal to you, and promises to bring you into his presence where you praise him and worship him and experience fullness of joy. His steadfast love endures forever. You have a bright hope in the beauty of the gospel. David could say that without seeing the life, death, and resurrection of Christ like we can. 
we got five, or we got four gospels of his steadfast love endures forever. Death doesn't defeat it. What more hopeless situation can you get than that? This is our bright hope. Trusting in his steadfast love. And it's interesting in the last part of the verse. He says, I have trusted. So he's reminding himself of the trust that he's placed in God. Can't see anything out of the hopeless situation. He reminds himself of the trust, the trust he's put in God and the fact that God has always followed through in his word. And then he says, my heart shall rejoice. We get a future, future tense here. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I think this is important. Because the psalmist doesn't end necessarily with smiles. Hopelessness is hard. We don't walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Chipper. And I think this, he's making a point here. I can have confidence in the reality that God's love for me doesn't fade, doesn't change. He follows through on every promise he has for us. Amen. We're going to sing all your promises are yes and amen. In Christ, the one who has accomplished everything, who suffered for us, who's passed through and is now seated in the right hand of God in the heavenly places, that's not getting undone. That's certain. We can, see, we can look back and see that in ways that David never could. And we can remind ourselves of what Jesus accomplished and the, and the confidence that we have in his love for us because he, he took on flesh. He suffered for us. For a purpose. His salvation. Salvation that you will rejoice in. Salvation that you will confidently rejoice in. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the bright hope. That's something that you can say with confidence when you're in the darkest, most painful place in your life. That's salvation that will happen. That's salvation that I will see and I will rejoice in. That's beautiful. I can look back and have confidence in his steadfast love and I can look forward and say, that's going to happen. I'm going to be in his presence. I'm going to experience fullness of joy in ways that will wipe away every tear from every hopeless situation, from every dark place. You can say that with confidence. And I think that these are, this dark, wrestling with a, with a dark place, wrestling with a bright hope of God's commitment to us, 
of, of full salvation. You, know, you have something, if, you're re- if you really grapple with that, you have something that you're not gonna find outside of these walls. And I don't mean that like there aren't any other good churches. Christians with the gospel, you can look the most painful situation in the face, the most hopeless situation, the most hopeless person, and say, yeah, that's hopeless. That's painful. You should be crying out to God. But at the same time, you have a a bright hope that nobody else has. Confidence in a God whose steadfast love endures forever. An entire book of all the ways he has followed through on everything he's ever promised to do. So you can say, like nobody else can say, in the most dark, painful situation of your life, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. You have confidence in that. That's a blessing. That's wonderful. That's something that other people don't have. I think we have opportunities to even proclaim that gospel and to communicate that hope when we first acknowledge the hopelessness of so many situations. When we really wrestle with that, it's hard, it's painful. But it's, it's seeing that diamond against that black backdrop that allows us to, to rejoice and say, in Christ, all your promises are yes and amen. So with confidence, I can say, I'm going to rejoice in the presence of my heavenly father. Thanks be to God for such an unspeakable gift. What a bright confident hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your compassion towards us. Thank you for feeling the despair that we feel. pressing forward not for anything not not for your good but for ours Lord I pray that Emmaus myself I pray that we would be a community that doesn't shy away from the difficult things in life that that isn't afraid of coming to grips with the hopeless situations we can be in that are just dark but at the same time a community that points others and each other to a bright hope something that gives us confidence in what you're doing thank you that someday we will see you more clearly that we will see you face to face that we will just rest in the fullness of your joy in ways that we can't even imagine in this world man I look forward to that day In your name I pray, amen.